Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, this time with a real show. A real show. Did we get any feedback on our very special episode? Um, you had to ask that. <laughs> I didn't see any come up on Facebook, and since I don't get the notifications that somebody has commented on the main page, you do. I didn't see any of those. Okay, so nobody gave us feedback. Nobody. What's wrong with you people? So I was, <laughs> I was telling you of the experience that I had listening back to the show mm-hmm. in our car mm-hmm. and listened to the very special episode. And I was like, wow, it really does sound different. And then I heard the last episode with the infamous hum and went, whoa, we really did sound awful. I'm surprised anybody has stuck with us for this long. I think what you actually need to do to truly compare this, do a a full apples to apples comparison, is the last episode that we did in 2018. Without the hum. Okay. Now granted, that was a different space. It was carpeted. It, It muffled the sound a little better. But that was the last clean recording we had with that gear. True. I could go back to do that, or I could go shopping for, you know, carpet. You could do that, too. I hear, I see acoustic tiles in our future. <laughs> that, you know, that's what we could do is carpet tile. No. Okay. But some acoustic tiles would probably not be wrong. But then I wouldn't be able to hang my pictures on the wall. If you do it right, you can hang your pictures over the acoustic tiles. Oh, okay. Anyway, let's talk about Formula One. Let's talk about Formula you know, One. That, that's what we, we supposedly We're not a podcast do. on podcast gear. Or, or home decorating of a recording studio. or That needs doors. <laughs> <laughs> so, this we didn't really talk... Well, we didn't get the opportunity to talk about the drama that has gone on around... Haas's title sponsor, Rick, Rich Energy. No. we have. Did we even mention that they were having issues, or have that just been an internal conversation between I us? I think we mentioned it in passing at the very first episode, our very first return episode. Okay. We mentioned it in passing that um, there, there was a lawsuit over trademark infringement, and the folks over at Jalopnik have been... Yeah, because we mentioned it, that they found the, the booth over at the Indianapolis 500, but nobody was manning it, so they just grabbed a couple of cans. Correct. Or a flyer or something. But we're really unsure if they actually have a product. Apparently they do. So it sounds like you can actually buy cans of their stuff, although from what it sounds like, you don't actually buy it from Rich Energy because they can't seem to fulfill orders for some unknown reason from their website. But I think somebody mentioned that Walmart.com is carrying it, and Amazon has it at least in the UK. Okay. So. The, the general response that I've heard for those who have tasted it is that it even smells incredibly sweet. Oh. Okay. But unremarkable. So they stole cop, uh, logo. Well, not according to them. They claim that their logo is an original piece of work derived from them. Okay. That's, that, that, that they came up with this on their own. 
where the problem has come out is that um, another British company, because in theory, Rich Energy is a British company, um, although the guy who uh, runs the company does not look the slightest bit British. He looks like he just came out of the deepest, darkest hills of the Adirondacks with the beard to match. Okay, so he's a British hipster? Yeah, probably. Um, White Bikes has a very similar logo. How similar is it? Well, it's hard to to really describe it, but basically the general shape is the same, and I had to look really closely. Um, It is this very stylized look of this stag, very pointed and angular and triangular. Um, The big difference is that Rich's logo is gold, White's is white, and um, there's two additional prongs on the outer antlers of the Rich Energy logo compared to the White Bikes logo. Other than that, yeah, they look pretty much identical. And the British courts have found that yeah, they look pretty much identical, and you can claim that this is original all you want, but they look pretty much identical. Okay. Um, they were ordered to remove the logos from their from the, the F1 cars to start with, with and all the driver's uniforms, and if you'll notice, about three weeks ago, they all disappeared. Um, and that was pending an appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, on June 27th, that appeal came down, and Rich Energy lost it. Okay. With the following terms. So, so this is the, the pertinent pieces of uh, the finding between, uh, against Rich Energy Limited, William Story, who is the, the founder, owner, public face of Rich Energy, and Staxo Web Limited, which is, I guess, the encompassing company around this for legal pieces. I don't know. Um, so number one is that Rich Energy will not be able to use the Stag logo on energy drinks or on any other products, and that injunction takes effect on July 18th. Okay. So that has to go away. Rich Energy's request for permission to appeal to the Court of Appeal was refused. They can ask the Court of Appeal for permission to appeal. Okay. Okay. Um, Rich Energy has been ordered to deliver up all infringing Rich Energy products to White or at Rich Energy's option to destroy the items or render them non-infringing by August 1st. So they have to take all of their existing inventory that has the STAG logo on it and either... Well, see, that's one of the oddball things here is what they actually have for existing inventory. Because William Story has apparently acknowledged um, that while the inventory of the actual beverage appears to be fairly limited, he does have a large quantity of empty cans that have not been filled with the logo on it. (laughs) So, as a rule-skirting marketer that I am... Mm -hmm. I have the solution. And I'm going to offer them the solution for free. They don't even have to pay me for this. Stickers. Stickers on every can. Well, that's the thing is... They have to render it (laughs) 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 (la
infringing. But the question is, since stickers are can be removed, does that truly meet? I mean, that's not a permanent non-infringing situation if you can remove the stickers. But you got to assume that any marketing material and promotional material that they haven't destroyed, that has to go to white bikes, including potentially Formula One driver's uniforms and Formula One team gear and kit that has the infringing stag logo on it. Now, thankfully, because of the way the the cars are, are decorated and handled... They don't have to turn over Formula One cars with the infringing logos on them. At least there's that. But it says that they have to turn it over or render it non-infringing. Yeah. So you can't do that with a piece of clothing, though. All they have to do is cut the the logo out. Okay, but and destroy do, it. Do you think a team is going to wander around with shirts with holes? How safe is that driver's jumpsuit with the, the stack cut out of it? I think I mean, that kind of defeats the purpose. Okay, but a patch over that renders it non-infringing. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got to get creative here. They're not going to turn over turn over that. They will destroy it before they'll turn yeah. that over. I mean, that's the reality. But the other piece of that is, okay, let's pretend he has thousands of unfilled cans. Mm-hmm. He could melt them down and reproduce them. That would be one yeah. costly way of dealing with it. Or sleeves on them somehow and yes it can be removed but you have given the nod to you that you can perforate stickers so that they can't be easily removed you can do all sorts of things okay one important piece of that though is that you are supposing that rich energy actually is a legitimate business okay that is a very good question (laughs) Because we are not convinced of their legitimacy. And, and that, that is, I think, the really big problem I have with Haas's position in this. Because they really have gotten to the point that they have taken a stance of, well, the check cleared, and we're not going to take any other position on the legitimacy of the business or what they're doing or anything like that. And that, it, it's gotten to a point where that really bothers me. Your title sponsor is this shady. And everybody's looking at Anybody who, who looks at Rich Energy and going, I, I don't understand how this is a going concern and where this money has come from and what this product is and, and how they have managed to come up with this dump truck full of money to give you and do it legally because there's, there's no substance here. And the fact that Haas is going, well, we're not going to comment on that. They're they're an independent entity, and that bothers me. Well, I mean, this is the Monisha Kelton-born school of financing a Formula One team. Cash the check and don't look back. Exactly. And, I mean, I, I get that the car's bare and that the team is clearly not attracting sponsorship. But, I mean, even Williams knew enough to, because they were originally, that was the talk, was that Rich was going to partner with Williams. And Williams' story was spotted in, I think it was Austin or a couple of the races. He was spotted 
in the Williams garages wearing Williams attire as a guest of Williams and there was all this talk about how Williams was looking to cozy up to Rich and they turned their back on him. I mean, hell, let's face it. There were even rumors flying that VJ Malia was going to sell the team to Rich. And if VJ Malia turned his back on William's story and Rich Energy, that has to say something. You don't get much shadier than VJ Malia's finances. True. True. But, I mean, understand, and you've got to understand where the Haas team comes from with this. It's expensive yeah. to field a Formula One team. Somebody comes in waving you a check and you're inexperienced and you need the money and you turn around and you go, I'm going to cash the check and I'm not going to look too deep. See, but that's the thing is, I, I well, I, I have a problem with saying that they're inexperienced, especially in the marketing piece. You know, Gene Haas has had a NASCAR team for a very long time. He's obviously got marketing partners that he could call on if he wanted to and pull across from NASCAR. He's got expertise in his organization in finding good sponsors, paying sponsors within his organization for race teams. And it shouldn't be that big of a jump and that much trouble for that organization to bring in sponsors if they really wanted to. I mean, at the end of the day, that team and that car exists to promote Haas automation and Haas machine parts. True. I don't know. I I don't know. But I'm willing to bet that somebody just does not want to look deep. It, they don't, and I think now they've got themselves backed into a corner, and there is no graceful way to extricate from it other than here's all of this money that we've already spent. Well, and here's the thing. I think they're doing the best they can to gracefully exit. They pulled the logo off when the thing first came out. Well, Rich told them to pull the logo. They didn't pull the logo. They, they are doing what they can do as fast as they can. Um... And I think that that's the best you can hope for. But yeah, you wave a pile of front up money in front of somebody, somebody is going to jump without looking twice. And that should be a lesson to everyone, regardless of the sport, regardless of the experience. You, gift horses come with strings, and you need yeah. to be aware of that. So there's two other terms here in, the, in this decision that came down that I think are kind of interesting. Um, one is that Rich Energy has also been ordered to disclose to ATB, who is the parent company for white bikes. They've been ordered to disclose to ATB the total UK and global sales to date of cans of Rich Energy. That, I think, would be kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've also, as of right now, been ordered to pay costs of £35,416 to ATB sales, which is white, within the next 14 days. Okay. It'd be interesting to see where that money comes from. And again, since we're all questioning how legitimate Rich is as an entity, knowing or getting some idea of what their actual sales are, because officially it's really only for sale in the UK, although nobody carries it, it'd be interesting to know what that looks like. Well, if they're truly illegitimate and they're laundering money, they'll be able to come up with the money pretty quickly. 
It'll just appear. <laughs> it Well, it, it depends on how long the gangsters are willing to bankroll him. It's how well is he laundering money. Yeah. So other interesting bits that have come out. So, you know, we, we all remember that moment in Montreal where Sebastian Vettel in a... A fit of how do you how do you want to describe that? Childishness. To some extent, I, I do struggle to to fault him for what he did. Frustration. Frustration. Okay, let's let's go with frustration, anger, and frustration. Poor um, sportsmanship. I don't even know if it's quite that fair, but okay. Um, relocated. The sign indicating the first place, um, the winning first place vehicle from Lewis Hamilton's car to the empty location where his car should have been if he had actually pulled it up into the appropriate area once it entered Park Fermi. And that is where I call it a little childish. I mean, he didn't even park his car where it should have been parked. He was throwing his toys out of the pram and insisting that he was done and going home. I mean, that was his reaction. It was. Um, it was amusing, and I understand that reaction. Okay. Yes, I, I, I am now coming down on the fact that I think the penalty was legitimate, and I'm, and I'm going to go there. But Do you actually disagree with the great Jeroen Kandar? What? The who? I can't pronounce his name. The who? Get over it. You mean Karun Chandok? (laughs) Yeah, that one. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. You are disagreeing with him? Now apologize to him for totally (laughs) trashing his name in an unrecognizable form. Good news. He doesn't listen to us, and he didn't know. (laughs) Um, You are now disagreeing? I mean, that was critical evidence that Ferrari brought forward. Overwhelming. New and overwhelming. Well, um, to commemorate the moment is that um, BBR Models, who I believe is in the UK, uh, has created a commemorative model for the event. Okay. So as with all commemorative models for, for, you know, high value type things, uh, high, high value models. Uh, it is, it comes in a very nice display pedestal, um, with an acrylic top. Um, and it has to, to commemorate the moment, um, as with a race win should be the, the stand, the recreated stand that, that the FIA puts out in front of the cars with a one and a silhouette of his car no actual car but a silhouette of his car and if like a commemorative medallion had actually been issued to celebrate Ferrari's first victory or or Seb's first victory well Ferrari and Seb's first victory since Hockenheim the previous year there's an empty space that you could have put said medallion but of course the victory didn't happen so it's just empty too (laughs) But for $20, you can have the Sebastian Vettel Montreal commemorative non-victory diecast. <laughs> so It was brilliant. So many words. It was brilliant. 
You love this thing. I feel, I thought it was a great idea. I'm really surprised that you haven't spent 20 bucks on this thing yet. I mean, it's only $20, but I thought it was brilliant. So let, let's move forward a race back to, to Austria. Wait, before you do that, are you going to play your favorite sound clip? Because you missed it last time. I missed it the last two times. So yeah, here we go. Are you happy now? Yes. You feel better? Uh, we're working on it. Okay. <laughs> so, to give you an idea of how unexpected Max Verstappen's win was in Austria. I mean, and, and you know, this is the first year that we've been back in Austria that I, and, and I didn't realize this over the weekend, but Red Bull was not wearing later hosen. No, they didn't. You know, the drivers were not wearing the lederhosen race suits, and we didn't see um, anybody on the team in lederhosen. Usually we see the, the whole group, Christian Horner and everybody. So here's the question. Are they going to declare lederhosen to be bad luck and not wear lederhosen again? I doubt that because, again, Max won last year, mm-hmm. and they didn't expect him to win last year either. And he was wearing, they were wearing later hose. So? I, but anyway, the, the victory was so unexpected that Honda technical director, if you watch the podium ceremony, you've noticed that Honda technical director Toyoharo Tanabe was on the podium eventually. <laughs> he showed up. He showed up. He was late because... They weren't expecting to win. They didn't think that this was going on. They weren't planning for this or anything like that. Um, He was late to the podium, and he admits that he had no idea what to do on the podium since this was the company's first Formula win since 2006. Wow. Now, to be clear, though, um, Mr. Tanabe is not exactly inexperienced when it comes to winning races and, and... podium ceremonies, although there, it, it's a bit different. His previous role before he took on this one uh, as Honda's F1 technical director was he was the uh, HPD, the Honda Performance um, Department technical director. He was in charge of the IndyCar engines and that effort. So and they have won before, but it's a very different podium ceremony. And I was going to say, they don't... They constructor and the such does not show up on the podium ceremony in IndyCar. Well, they I, I think where they tend to show up is in the winner's circle. Because mm-hmm. remember, IndyCar is more the winner's circle, and that's where the celebration happens as opposed to a podium ceremony. Um, yeah, they do a, a podium ceremony at some point, but it, it's winner's circle. So he, he's probably got experience being in the winner's circle at IndyCar, which is not the same as an F1 podium ceremony. So they, you know, they had to go and, dude, you, you need to get up there. We're, we're expecting you. And, and yeah. They had not practiced that. And as I, I am sure you have heard the statistic, um, this was Honda's first victory since 2006. So a mere 13 years. Now, You've also got to remember that they haven't been in Formula One consistently since 2006. They've only been in since 2015. 
And if you look at it that way, as a constructor, okay, you're back, your first time back since 2015, it's taken three years, four years? Four years. You're on your three and a half years. Probably not too bad. As disastrous as it was, and as much as we had these high hopes for Honda and where they were going to go because of the history that they have had in the sport and the fact that they were paired with McLaren and McLaren should have been, you know, they should have been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of disappointment, but within three years, three and a half years, you have your first victory. No, I don't think it's that bad. But three I- years to even get your first podium, for that matter, because they had a podium at the beginning of the year. It's not that bad. Um, I think the biggest comparison is to see where Renault shows up when they show up on the podium. The difference there, though. They've been in the Yeah, the I mean, the, the engine has been around. The, the Renault's last victory as, a, as an engine constructor, as opposed to a, a car constructor, but as an engine constructor was last year. Yeah. I mean... They had a couple of wins last year. They haven't since. So, but but if you look at the car constructors, there have been teams that have been around Formula One a lot longer than three three and a half years to get their first podium, let alone their first victory. True. So, and not only was Honda surprised, but to some extent, Red Bull was surprised too because they don't know why the car was so fast. Oh. Yeah. Um, Christian Horner says that really it came about in the second half of the race. The the, the car was on fire. It was really quick. And they don't fully understand why. He said, obviously, the updates we've been bringing to the car over the last couple of races have started to come together and work very well. But this race was won the hard way. It had to go and pass three of the four main opposition. And Max did it. And he did it well. He did it. And properly. And... The the one thing, though, I, I do have to say is I think in terms of that main opposition that he had to pass, really, I think it was just Ferrari that, that was the challenge there because Mercedes was running a compromised car, and everybody knew that they were running a compromised car, and they were right on the edge of overheating. They, they had the, the aerodynamics opened up to the point um, that it was impacting the performance, they were having a lot of issues. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the real challenge there was the Ferraris. True, true. And that Mercedes car does not work in the heat. She does not like to be warm. Which means come Singapore, um, you probably would be well suited to not pick them to win yet again. And yet... Hamilton I mean, pulls it out sometimes too. Sometimes so he does, but but yeah, you're bet- betting on averages, so yeah, yeah, and and they've just shown that they're struggling in the heat more than any other time. So Singapore is going to probably be a bigger challenge unless it rains again and Sebastian Vettel goes and wrecks his car. Also, a good probability. Also, a possibility. Um, also struggling this year has been Racing Point. Your favorite driver. No, I was thinking that, you know, if anybody is capable of producing in that car, it's Sergio Perez. He's outproduced his teammate. He has, but the team is struggling. And in terms of the success that we saw last year 
relative success or the the previous years and i'm sure some of the you know the the loss of success the failure has has been getting rid of Esteban Ocon i think they'd be doing a lot better if they had ocon they would quite frankly they would um but um they blame their struggles this year on Force India. Well, it's their fault. It's Vijay's fault. Yeah, you always blame the outgoing rulers. I mean, <laughs> it, that's the way this works. It's their fault. Yeah. You start a new job, the guy that had the job before you sucked. I mean, that's the way it works. Yeah, they, they, they made some bad choices. Mistakes, Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. There's regrets. Yeah. Um... We're changing things. Otmar says it's Fernley's fault. You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. These are are results that were put into motion from decisions that were made prior to our administration. If only Force India had the money for development last year, we could have started the year with a good car. Exactly. And if only they were smart enough not to hire Daddy's son, they'd have a good driver. (laughs) The problem is, when Daddy buys the team, you're stuck with Daddy's son. Yeah. Well, it, you know, at, at some point, Otmar is going to walk in and go, this is ridiculous. At, at some point, I, I got to see it happening. Honestly, I will be very surprised if Lance has a seat next year. If he continues to perform at the look. Keep in mind, he pulled off a podium last year, like, out of nowhere. Yeah. So... It's possible, but if he continues to not get out of Q3, if he continues to be way down on Perez, I think that's when you have, you go, I gave him a season, he's not doing any better, the delta is growing between him and Perez, we got to do something different. Well, that's when you start to wonder as to what exactly Lawrence's motivations were behind buying the team. Mm-hmm. And yes, I understand it. If if you saw the the Netflix movie, Lawrence is a racing fan. He he's been involved in motorsports in various aspects before, but still, if you got to start to wonder what his motivation was behind buying this team. If his motivation was strolly, solely to give Lance a team, then we're going to see Lance for a while. Mm-hmm. But if and it becomes. The road to Mazda guy, Fat Boy Racing. You know, yeah, I'm just here to have fun, and no, so, I'm going to come in last. So, so just for those who are not aware, over in and it's Road to Indy. Road to Indy. It used to be Road to Indy by Pro Mazda, but Mazda's. I think now it's Road to Indy by Cooper Tires. Um, but in one of the teams in Road to Indy is uh, the team name is Fat Boy Racing. Um, and it is a very rich guy who just likes to race. And he has the money to fund a car for him to drive in the series. Mm-hmm. And he does it every single year. And it's just him racing. And he is nowhere close. Oh, yeah. He knows he's going to come in last. Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, seconds, seconds, minutes, laps down and... He does call himself Fat Boy Racing because he's not in shape and yeah. he's 40-something years old. But he's a rich guy. And, but there is one thing that, that he does 
um, that's not being an obstacle on track. And, and I think it's why the, there's, there's two reasons why the rest of the grid over in Road to Indy to like him. Mm-hmm. Number one is he is an incredibly nice guy. Yeah. Um, everybody loves him. He's super friendly. He, he has no errors, no pretensions whatsoever. He knows he's not challenging any of that stuff. But the other thing is that he is apparently, at least from the off-track perspective, he is a great spotter of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like many of the teams have hired mechanics and engineers and stuff from him. Who, they've gotten their start working with this guy and working on fat boy racing and the exposure that they get, it allows them to show their talents to the rest of the grid and they find their ways onto other teams and they're getting quality folks. And I think the really cool thing about him, I mean, okay, on one hand, there's this incredible thought of you have no business being here. Yeah. You've bought your way in. This is this is this is the way you're spending all of your money, and that's fine. But on the other hand, he has no animosity that these kids come in, they work for him for a year, mm-hmm. and then they go off to do bigger and better things. And he comes by and visits with them at the other teams. Yeah. He supports them. In that way, it's like, wow, you're really cool. And I think that that's the other thing that really kind of, it smooths over the fact he has no business being there. And he knows it. Yeah. But he's there because his money funds stuff. Um, so on one hand, if Lance was a little less cocky and a lot nicer. I don't think he's he's cocky. I think he's cocky. Mm-mm. I think he's a rich boy khaki kid. From what I've seen, he, I mean, he, he's not an Esteban Ocon or a Charles Leclerc who comes from modest families and their attitude and their public face that you see is very reflective of what it took for them to get in. You you don't see that with Lance, but I don't. I also don't see him wandering around with this big head of "I'm so awesome" and and the team is failing me and the car is failing me. Um, but I don't think that there's a full recognition on his part of his role in how things are playing out. I think he was a little "the team is failing me" towards the end of Williams. I think it was a okay, little... Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll give you... But, okay, when you qualify it that way, he, he was kind of right there. I mean, the, the team you... delivered the team delivered a crap car. Um, he just didn't make it any... He didn't flatter it either, was the <laughs> other piece. So, yes, he was right in saying that they handed him a car that he could not win in. 100%. Um... They handed him a car he should have been able to score more points in than he did. But, yes, he had a right from the perspective of this was not a well-designed car and it had some significant flaws and they should have seen it coming and it was their design, not him. I, I can give him that at the end of the season. At the beginning of the season, if he went that route, it would have been a different story. Dude, learn how to drive the car. That is the most, like, leeway you have ever given. I know, given. it's the only, the, the only leeway I'm going to give the kid. I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. The Charles truth, Leclerc, or, or not Charles Leclerc, Esteban Ocon likes them. They're best buddies. I know. Go figure. Um, the thing is, the reality is, 
we like the modest upbringing, the give it all, give it all stories. We like the fact yeah. that Okan's family sold everything and moved into a caravan so that Okan could get a start. And they drove around Europe for seasons. Yeah. And, you know, with the family and his sister and the dog. And we love the fact that Charles Leclerc, I mean, for a monogast, came from practically nothing. His mom's a hairdresser. I mean... Cuts the hair for the Formula One drivers. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's the thing that just kind of blows you away. On the level of, you know, money and wealth, he comes from a different world from what you think of of Monte Carlo. Um, but the other thing is, you know, we, we've seen a lot of driver's kids come up. Mm-hmm. And the, their attitude is also very different. I mean, Jolian Palmer, you listen to him talk. And, and even when he was racing, he was very down to earth. He, he was. Oh, he, he was. He was not full of himself. He was very down to earth. Um, but I get Magnuson's a- another one who, who you know, his, his dad, he, he comes from a racing family. Max is another one, comes from a racing family. And, you know. Okay, but here's the difference. I give Jolian a lot of credit, and I give Daddy Palmer even more credit because when Jolian came up and Daddy could have stolen some of the spotlight by showing up on the grid and doing all that kind of stuff, Palmer stepped out and said, this is Jolian's time, and I'm out. And... Well, that's the, the same model. That, did not do that. Yas <laughs> didn't, but K.K. Rosberg did. K.K. did. And K.K. made it a point of, you know, he was asked on multiple occasions of, why don't you ever come out to the... Why don't you... And, and Jonathan has shown up at the track a couple of times. But K.K. never did. Mm-hmm. Or, and, and the only time that we found out that K.K. did... He didn't tell anybody until like eight months afterwards that he was actually there in hiding was in Abu Dhabi when Nico won the title. But other than that, KK made it very clear that that once Nico got into Formula One, or at least Mercedes, because I don't know what he did over at Williams, um, once Nico got into Formula One, it was Nico's career and Nico's decision. And, and yeah, they would talk. But KK wasn't going to show up at the track. He wasn't going to do any of that stuff. And we know that KK had a role in Nico's development because Lewis Hamilton tells the story about how when they were karting and driving through the woods and how his dad um, thought he was this great driver and it was... Um, Lewis's dad driving and KK sitting in the front seat and Nico and Lewis in the back seat and they're driving down the road and to mess with Lewis's dad, KK pulls the emergency brake and they lose control and ended up in a ditch. (laughs) (laughs) He told that on Top Gear. You know, our family stories are just somehow very different. (laughs) I, I can imagine that, that in our family, if somebody had done something like that, it led to her, people wouldn't be talking to each other. There would be deaths, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, other changes and movements going on. Um, over at McLaren, engineering director Pat Fry uh, seems to have gone on gardening leave. Uh, and has indicated that he wants to leave the Formula One team. So Pat Fry has had 
Um, well, he was actually brought on fairly recently. Um, the What we had heard was that Pat had joined the team after eight years away. Uh, it was a short-term contract while um, they were waiting for James Key to come over from Toro Rosso as technical director. Um, but, you know, that whole thing was tied up in, in gardening leave and, and as well and Toro Rosso not wanting to let James go and, and denying that that was going to happen and all those various bits and pieces. Um, it sounds like now that, that James has, has been freed up from his gardening leave to come over and join a team. Um, Pat was involved in the development of this year's car. Mm-hmm. So in terms of fixing the problems, Pat has resolved this. And he's indicated that he wants to at least leave the team. It's not clear if he wants to leave Formula One altogether, if he's got maybe an offer with another team. Maybe Williams, I don't know. Could be interesting. But he's got to go on gardening leave so that you know the appropriate amount of period goes by so that you know, he's forgotten the details and it's not relevant what he's done and all of that. And he can start all over with somebody else. You know, one of the teams has to be working on the little M- um, men in black forgettery thing <laughs> so that they can just shot, shoot them as yeah, they walk out the door. Them. Zap them. You can Formula go. One, what's that? <laughs> um, now, Williams has said, you know, and, and Patty Lowe has left Williams mm-hmm. um, because the team got worse, not better under him. Um, Williams has said right now, specifically Claire, has said that they're happy with the technical management team they have. Okay. Which, on one hand, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, she, she's made it clear that, it, that they are not a team that, as they, as they struggle, that they just instantly start firing and replacing people. Which, I get that to some extent. But you've obviously gone down a road that you have yet to recover from. And it's not really clear that your current technical team can straighten that out. And maybe it is time to start looking in another direction. I'm just saying, because... Claire definitely takes on the Williams feeling that this isn't a team, it's a family. And you don't fire family. So she's got her own things to work through. Um, and while we're talking about McLaren, so their new team principal, actually, he's new to us. He's been team principal for a couple months, but since we weren't talking about this stuff, we didn't mention it. He got hired. Um, McLaren team principal Andreas Seidel says that it is pretty difficult to imagine any new entry investing the money currently required to be successful in the championship. And again, pointing out that the fact that of all of the engine manufacturers that have come in, Honda was the only one. Mm-hmm. They spent a ton of money. They got trashed for how poorly that they were doing, and they have finally won. And there was all of this talk with the change in the rules in 2021 that maybe we could see a new constructor. There were rumors that Porsche had even gone so far as developed a race-ready engine, and um, Aston Martin and possibly Cosworth were looking to return. All of those have backed away. So Seidel is saying that, yeah, it seems crazy. Now, he has a very unique perspective on this. Do tell. So his last job, prior to coming to McLaren, he, run, he ran Porsche's motorsport division, specifically 
the LMP1 team that ran in, in WRC and developed the highly successful Porsche 919 that had the plans that they took the engine from the 919 and were adapting it and had it built and ready to go based on what the expected rules were going to be for Formula One. They were ready to go with an engine, and it was developed under him. Oh. And when they made, when Formula One and the FIA made the decision not to simplify the engine regulations, Porsche decided not to enter as a constructor and canceled that whole project. Wow. But he was the man who was in charge of it. So maybe he knows that it's... He kind of knows this. I mean, in the world of... And water is wet and gravity is a law. Um, yeah, Formula One's expensive. Yeah, and, <laughs> but, but we've also... We, we've said this on multiple occasions of why anybody would want to turn... We, we didn't understand why anybody would want to show up with three dump trucks full, full of money to start a Formula One team. And then Haas comes around and starts a Formula One team and they do halfway decent. I think about every part from Ferrari. I mean, but still, I mean, they they started a team from scratch. They they didn't even go and and yes, Gene acknowledges it was a mistake, but they could have bought Marussia, mm-hmm. which was on the block. They could have bought Caterham, which was on the you know both of these teams were on the verge of liquidating or liquidating about the time that they were forming a team, and yeah, they bought a couple of things, but they started a team from scratch. Yeah. And why? (laughs) You could have gotten the fire sale and then fixed it. Right. And, I mean, the the question is, is it more costly to take a fire sale and fix it or to start from scratch? I mean, and that's that's an honest question. It it, it depends on what you're getting from the deal. Because, I mean, if they had turned around and they had bought, say, Marusha's base... Mm-hmm. in Europe to start with. And okay, you've at least got some of the tooling, you've got the the lifts, you've got some of those various bits even if you don't buy the staff and you don't buy the debt. You buy some of these other things. You've got a leg up already. Yeah. You don't need to buy it new. You don't need to to design and do all of those various bits and pieces because no, it's not turnkey, but there's you're not starting from scratch. Well, true, but the question is, was it available to buy it that way at all? I mean, it could have yeah. been that she had to buy the debt, and that's and that's, that, that could have been the killer. That, I think, is the critical piece of this, is if you're starting in a hole, then it is cheaper to buy, to start new. Yeah. If you, if as long as the hole's not too deep. I mean, if the hole is deep enough. Right. If it's not too deep, then yeah, you could pay off the debt, see Daddy Stroll, and... <laughs> And walk away with a team. I mean, that's how Daddy Stroll owns a team now. I mean, things happen. I I really regret the loss of Marusha and Caterham both, even if they had morphed into new teams. Um, I I think that that's a loss on the grid. So other rumors flying around. There's been a rumor flying around for the last... And we didn't talk about it two weeks ago? Last week or two weeks ago. I I just kind of let it die. Um... Lewis had commented on this particular rumor uh, that Toto Wolf was being considered as a potential replacement for Chase Carey to run Formula One for Liberty Media, which Lewis turned around and, and he was asked to comment on. And initially, he had said that, well, he'd do a fantastic job 
um, but he, he's never going to go or something along those. He's walked those comments back to some degree. Interesting. Um, I, the, the team may have asked him not to address. I don't know, but he, he's walked those comments back a bit. Um, but there's been a couple of rumors flying around that there is some interest in changing out, at the very least, Chase, if not deeper into the organization. Some of the Some of the names that have been floated... Yeah, I. Nobody's talked about the marketing director yet. Uh. But some of the names have been floated as possibly moving into Chase's position. Um, Alejandro Agag over at Form, who runs Formula E, which I don't see that happening. I mean, the guy founded Formula E, and it's doing fairly decent. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't see that. Um, Stefano Domenicali. Really. So those of you who don't remember, Stefano Domenicali used to run the the uh, Ferrari team up until, what, 2013, 2014? Um, his current role is as CEO of Lamborghini. Oh, yeah. Um, also, and, and this name's been flying around for since at least 2013, if not further, Christian Horner. I was going to say, Christian gets... The minute was... I mentioned, I mean, there was even talk of Christian replacing Bernie before everything went up for sale. Right. Yeah, they He's been heir apparent a few times over. Yeah. Um, now, Toto has, has come out now, and he has commented on the rumors flying around him. His theory, one, is that he, he says he has no idea where this rumor has come from. He has not interviewed for said position. He has not applied for said position. He has not asked about said position. He does not know where this is coming from. But his theory is that given the success of the team and the amount of sway that Toto... And Mercedes seems to have over the negotiations for the rules for 2021. And the fact that he has been able to take Ferrari with him a couple of times on some of these rules decisions. His thought is that maybe that this is somebody's agenda to try and distract from the rule stuff. Interesting. I think it could make some sense. Create swirl over here so that, you know, you put... Toto on the defensive, not the offensive. Yeah. I don't think he'll fall for it because he's smarter than that. He is, but the the bigger question is, just like a lot of other silly season talk, when rumors start to swirl around somebody, even if they're not real, mm-hmm. it can impact other decisions. True. And other people. Very true. So maybe that's what's happening. So our last story. Our last story? So, when it came to, oh, Formula One and the possibility of a race in Miami, we all thought that this was done, that this has not happened, the city doesn't want it, the the residents don't want it, this wasn't happening. And now we hear this. What? Over? Did you say Over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Germans? Forget it, he's rolling. It ain't over now. That's the word that's coming from Formula One management, is they are still bound and determined to get a race in Miami. So now, instead of going and having the race over by Bayside in downtown in the American Airlines Arena, where it would have been 
a city race and, and of some interest. Instead, looking back at past history of failed races in, in America, they're looking at a parking lot. Oh, fantastic. The, the latest talk is that now they are looking to move the race or the potential venue north of downtown Miami to the location of the Miami Dolphins. And, and for, for those of us who, have, who are familiar with Miami, um, what used to be Dolphin Stadium and then Pro Player Stadium, now, now I didn't know it had changed again, it is now the Miami Dolphins Hard Rock Stadium. Oh. You missed Joe Robbie in there. Oh, I miss Joe Robbie. That it was, was Dolphin was Stadium, then, Joe then Robbie. Joe Robbie. Then Pro Player. And then we called it Pro Robbie for right. a bit because we refused to accept Pro Player. Um, and, and now it is the, the Miami Dolphins Hard Rock Stadium. And they are looking to hold the race at the stadium, which means it's going to be in a parking lot. Now, as a reminder, when Formula One last held a race in the U.S. in a parking lot in Las Vegas, it sucked. Okay. So what we have done, actually, you know, I think they, well, what what Formula One has, has, has done is they looked at Paul Ricard. And they said, let's recreate that debacle. And they said, totally flat, lots of runoff. It looks like a parking lot. So let's have a race in a parking lot. No, 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 no. No, I know exactly what happened. They looked at Paul Ricard. They -hmm. listened to all the backlash after Paul Ricard. And how boring that race was. And they said, hold my beer. Here, hold my beer? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We can do this bigger and better and (laughs) You know, what would be fun is if they could figure out a way to just run the Formula One race through the Everglades. You run off, you die. There There you you go. (laughs) <laughs> there's you, crocodiles you, and then they run off. Well, there's there's alligators, but alligators. you know where in Singapore we have to deal with the iguanas. Well, actually, you got to deal with iguanas in, in Florida. Oh, did you see the story that came out this week <laughs> that Florida Department of Fish and Wildlife is encouraging homeowners when they see them to kill iguanas? Oh my! They are that bad. Oh, well, everybody gets them as pets, and uh-huh. then they release them when they get ginormous and ugly. And they get even more ginormous and ugly, and they damage houses. And the, so, yeah, direct, if you want to kill an iguana in Florida, go for it. So you, you've you got, in Miami, you can recreate the Singapore of, of iguanas wandering out onto the track. You can recreate Paul Ricard and flat parking lot featureless racing or non-racing as the case may be so the best and worst of all the bad experiences yeah and let's circle back to iguanas for just a second (laughs) we've got to do that (laughs) so they're reptiles you know this right yeah and thus their body temperature is regulated by the air temperature Mm -hmm. in florida is the tropics but and they sleep up in the trees at night right a couple of years ago there was an issue when they drop the temperature at night Mm -hmm. They fall out of the trees because they, like, semi-die? They, they don't. They hibernate. Yeah. They go into this hibernated state, and then they fall out of the trees. It, it was mentioned in the article I read that said that they were allowed to, to kill them. And, and they even talked at one of the, the, the services 
his buddy had picked up one of these iguanas that had fallen out of the tree and frozen and was so he thought was dead, grabbed the thing and was going to take it because he was going to eat it. Because in the Caribbean, I guess they're a delicacy. They like to eat them. Put the thing in the car. It warmed up as he was driving home and started running around, which scared the crap out of him. <laughs> so he pulled over, threw the iguana out of the car and took off. <laughs> Okay, life lesson. If you take a frozen iguana off the ground... It's it not is, dead. It's not dead. Duct tape and put it in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, people. Let's not be Florida man here. Yeah. Let's Any- think about how you trap the frozen iguana. So, yeah, Formula One now wants to go, and they're, they're still committed, to, and, and I'm okay with another race in the States. That's fine. But... Really, you're if you can't do a city race, which okay, that that can be a little challenging. You can't find a viable road course that's worth bringing up to grade one standards. You have to go to a parking lot at a stadium. Go a couple of miles south, and I get it's an oval, but go a couple miles south to Homestead, where NASCAR's been having races, and. Work with them to build out an actual, um, an actual road course that's grade one certified, and have it down there. Didn't we once do a survey of grade one or near grade one tracks mm-hmm. that are in the United States? There's not a lot. There's Indy. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Watkins Glen not that far off? Watkins Glen wasn't that far off, and I believe there was one other one. Um, but All the, of the which only have actual, history. Actually, Indy is grade one certified. Coda was grade one certified. Um, and then it was Watkins Glen who was close, and I think there was Sebring may have been the other one. Sebring is one that I don't see F1 ever willingly going back to. Um, their one race there, my understanding, was a disaster from a financial standpoint um, to the fact, to, to the, all the way to the extreme that I don't think folks got paid. Wow. Um, but they have history at these. These are tracks. Mm-hmm. They are actual tracks. Well, I don't think they'll go back to Indianapolis either. Well, no. It, it was never known for good racing. But Watkins Glen... Watkins Glen, I, w- I would love to see Formula One go back to Watkins Glen. I think that the issue that they're going to have is the same issue that they've had in the past there and the same reason why IndyCar stopped going back once they had an alternative. As gorgeous as Watkins Glen is and, and the Thousand Lakes area of New York is, it truly is absolutely nowhere. There's not enough. If you're going to attract 60,000 fans to a race at Watkins Glen, there is nowhere for them to stay nearby. I would bet that there's probably about three thousand rooms in seventy-five, eighty miles of Watkins Glen itself, which means folks have to go all the way up to Buffalo or Binghamton or something like that, and then on top of it getting the the logistics of getting the teams there probably binghamton's the the only airport because it's it's also an air force base stewart and binghamton are probably the only place they could get the large enough planes in either that or they have to go all the way to buffalo 
and then truck all that stuff down. Which, yeah, they they can do it to some extent. Okay, I have another alternative for you. Okay. Downtown Chicago. <laughs> Possibly a slightly more interesting race than a parking lot outside of Dolphin Stadium. Well, you know, from that perspective, go to Road America. Or uh, what is the, the track that's, that's outside of Atlanta? Atlanta also has a, a fairly highly regarded road course, and, and I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. But go to one of those two and, and work with them to bring them up to grade one status. Road America in particular, unlike mid-Ohio, IndyCar likes going to Road America because the facilities are really good. Um, yeah, it's still a little bit of a hike from Chicago or you can go to, to Milwaukee. It's probably an hour from Milwaukee. They can fly stuff in there and truck it up there. But go to Road America and encourage, make it a partnership. Mm-hmm. FIA and Formula One invest in the track and the organizers invest in the track to have a race. Yeah. Do something like that, but don't just turn around and go, okay. We'll take it on. And in addition to having to go and bring it up to FIA grade one standards, we've got to pay you through the nose for a hosting fee. Right. Well, and that's, I think, where if we had some reasonability going on in the hosting process, you get some partnerships going. Mm-hmm. You you don't make all the risks on the promoter. Yeah. And I think you would see better venues, better tracks, better options coming up. But I don't know what the love affair is with Miami. I mean, quite frankly, I don't understand. I, w- the reason why I think they keep going to Miami, one is weather. Mm-hmm. Because th- there's... Because it never rains in South Florida at 3 p.m. in an afternoon. Rains, yes. And, and I don't think they mind so much the rain. Um, but in terms of... It's, it's warm enough and the temperatures are balanced enough, just like w- with Austin, mm-hmm. that they can race there without weather having too much of an impact. There's that, but I think also they're counting on the proximity to South America and the South American population in South Florida and trying to capitalize on um, the Brazilian support and things of that nature and and the the fact that Argentina is trying to get them in and... They're close enough that, A, they can have a race in the States, but still hopefully draw some of that South American population in to watch races. That, that, that's why I think they keep going there. Okay. I mean, better chance of hosting a race there in Seattle. True. Be a gorgeous race, but yeah. It's the waiting for the ferries that would be the problem in Seattle. <laughs> And on that note, I think we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. 
I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.